Are you a questioner? Are you a questioner? Huh? Yeah, that's a good question. That's not the best question. You should be a questioner and I should, too. And uh, the reason is because, you know, information I don't know. And believe it or not, I know a little bit of information you don't know. And there are certain questions that I can ask you. And there are certain questions that you can ask me. And we can kind of push those buttons and we can share information together and we can learn a lot about each other. Now, when. When a conversation is taking place, who is the one guiding the conversation? Is it the one asking the questions or is it the one talking? I just guided you right where I wanted you to go because I asked you a question. If you don't believe that's true, just spend a little bit of time watching Leno or Letterman or Conan at night. What do they do? They ask question after question after question. They can guide the conversation wherever they want it to go simply by asking questions. And believe it or not. Every time you and I ask questions, we are mimicking the majesty of God because God is a God who asks questions. Write this down. This is on your listening guide. The Bible has two thousand five hundred thirty different questions in it. Two thousand five hundred thirty questions, questions that people ask God, questions that God asks to people. The very first question in the Bible God comes down into the garden. He's looking for Adam and Eve after they've sinned. And his question was, where are you? He asked um, Abraham, is anything too hard for me? When Abraham was old and didn't have a son, he was 99, didn't have a son. Is anything too hard for me? He posed this one to Isaiah when Isaiah was in the temple. He said, Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he goes to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, what do you see, dude? He didn't really say, dude, that's just kind of my translation. But you understand, he says, what do you see when he was in in the potter's house? He saw a potter's wheel. He said to Jonah, Jonah, aren't you concerned about the great city of Nineveh? And then if you jump all the way over to the New Testament, one of Jesus' most famous questions to his disciples was, who do you say that I am? That's a big deal for all of us. We all need to answer that question. Who do we say uh, that Jesus is? And uh, there's all kinds of questions in the Bible. Now, obviously, God is not asking questions to get information. God is sovereign. He knows everything. So he's asking questions to get us thinking. And if you think about it, one of the one of Jesus most prevalent, uh, prevalent methods of of, uh, teaching was asking questions. Many times folks would come and they'd say, Jesus, what about this? And then he would ask them. He would answer their question with a question because he wanted them to think about stuff. Now. He wants us to ask questions. And I don't know if you've heard this quote, it's a famous quote, and it says, the unexamined life is not worth living. Roll that one through again. The unexamined life is not worth living. What that insinuates is that um, that we've got to look at our lives and ask some questions and deal with those answers if we're ever going to progress in this life. You've got to ask questions of others, examine their lives, let some of them make some of the mistakes. Don't try to do them all yourself. You don't have enough time and and you don't want to be that miserable. Learn from other people, but also look at your own life and ask some questions about your life. Now, here's a key truth that I want you to carry with you today. Here it is. Information without interrogation 
That's a long word. and We got it up there for you. Information without interrogation, that's questioning, is an abomination. That means bad. Information without interrogation is very, very bad. An abomination. What that means is smart people. Smart people do not just accept a batch of information. Smart people take that information and they ask questions about it and say, how can it apply to my life? Everyone in here wants to be smart, right? Hello? Okay, I I wasn't sure for a second. Everyone wants to be smart. I do too. So then we've got to learn to ask questions. Let's learn to ask the right question. Now, question means asking. The word question means advice. It comes from the same word of quest, which means to go on an adventure, to seek something, seek adventure. So every time I ask a question, I'm going on an adventure, this mental journey, and I have the opportunity to go places I would never go before if I asked questions of other people. So as a man made in God's image and you as people made in the image of a sovereign God, we've got to learn to ask questions and ask actually means here. And I didn't put this on your listening guide, but if you want to, this one's free. You can write it down. Ask means always seeking knowledge, always seeking knowledge. Now, I'm going to tell you up front. God is not going to answer every single question that you pose to him. But I hope after this talk, we'll understand the types of questions that we need to ask and the answers that we need to look for. So here it is. We've got to ask the right people the right questions, because then we'll get the right answers. And hopefully we'll choose to follow that information and we'll choose the right actions. And um, our life has just got to be this series of questions of the right people so that we get the right answers. Now, too many of us, though, we talked about this just a second ago. We've asked the wrong people, the wrong questions, gotten the wrong answers, and we've chosen. Don't blame it on anybody else. We've chosen to do the wrong things based on the wrong information. And to be quite honest with you, you're going to have to ask a whole bunch of people. And some of them are going to be the wrong people. So there's going to be times when you're going to have to ask the wrong people the right questions, and then their answer will tell you whether they're the right people or not. Now, I'm going to show you how to use this filter in just a minute so that you can figure out who the right people are. Now, sometimes I know I need to ask questions, but I'm afraid to. Um, I don't want to ask questions, and that's because there are two big honking barriers that I have in my life. And I think they're in your life, too. These big honking barriers keep me from being a living, breathing person who's always seeking knowledge. All right, here's the big honking barrier number one. Weakness. Big honking barrier number one is weakness. Now, I don't want to reveal my weakness. Anybody just want to stand up and tell us your number one weakness? Hop up on your chair right now, you know, and tell us your number one weakness. Anyone? 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 No, you're laughing because you'd like to see someone else do it. That's the type of thing. Yeah, go ahead. You punch your neighbor. I'd love to hear you tell your biggest weakness, but not me. And, And, you know... I got to do a little truth telling. Janie and I were actually talking about this last night. We just joined the Y. We hadn't been members of the Y in over five years. All right. They did this new expansion. And so we joined back before Christmas and started going. And in five years, they've invented a lot of new machines. Now, because I don't want to reveal my weakness, I don't have a fat clue how to do this machine. But do I ask for help? Do I ask someone with knowledge? 
How do you do this machine? No, because I don't want them to think I'm a card carrying idiot. So what do I do in an effort to fool everyone else in the gym? I go over and I stare like a deer in the headlights at the machine. Now, luckily, the new machines, they actually put on there, you know, this diagram of this person and it shows which body parts you're supposed to work out. And then in little bitty fine print, it actually says step one, step one, you know, so uh, step two. So I'm, I'm standing over there trying to fool everyone in the gym for like five minutes looking at this machine. And what does everyone in the, in the gym know? I'm a card carrying idiot. I tried to protect myself from that. Why don't we ask? Because we don't want anyone to know that we don't know. Guess what? <laughs> you do stupid stuff. Everybody already knows that you don't know. You're not fooling anybody but yourself. Now, if you think about this, is it really about weakness? Kind of. But you know what? It's more about, this is one of those ouch. Pride. There you go. Next to weakness in capital letters, write the word pride. Your pride and my pride. Oh, me. That's what's keeping us from stepping out there and asking questions. Now, I don't know if you've been to fellowships. We'll call them fellowships or parties or things like that. When you go to fellowships or parties, you have a batch of information that you are an expert on. Did you know that? Do you know what you're an expert on? Your life. Me. I'm an expert on me. And so I can talk about me. I can't talk about you because I don't know you. And here's what tends to happen. We go to fellowships or parties and uh, and we'll start talking about ourselves. Everything's me, mine, mine, my job, my business, my stuff, my gifts, my talents, my abilities. And, and it's like we have this big old exclamation point that we put after everyone. Do we have this big old? There it is. I knew we had one. <laughs> I was thinking it. And there it is. We have this big old exclamation point that we put about everything in my life because I'm an expert in my life. But here's the deal. If all I do is spend time talking about my stuff, my kids, my family, my house, my toys, which we're actually pretty good about talking about that, you know, I don't have a four wheeler, but man, do I like four wheelers. Exclamation point. And I could stand here and I could talk to you about going out to the ATV River Run. Exclamation point. Because I came back in, I told Janie one day, I said, I'm going to sell everything I have to get a four-wheeler. And I was just, she's, she thinks I'm nuts. Now, my kids have been out there, and they, they love it, too. They understand. i got to get my wife out there on a four-wheeler so she'll understand, and she'll be as desperate as I am to get a four-wheeler. Now, I can do all of that, and y'all can laugh and walk out of here, and we can have no meaningful conversation whatsoever. But what I need to do with this exclamation point is I need to bend it into a question mark. Because you know stuff I don't know. Some of you know stuff about four-wheelers. Some of you are going to say, no, don't buy a four-wheeler. See, I have a boat, and a boat is a black hole that you throw money in. And all I would be doing, I imagine, if I get a four-wheeler, is just transferring the black hole to this one and throwing money in that. But I don't care. I want, okay, anyway, exclamation point. So, I got a fever. You're right. It's bad. So we need to turn it into this question mark. And, and here's the thing, guys and gals. If you will apply this in all kinds of different relationships, it will blow your mind what asking others questions will do for those relationships. Just to point it out, this last week, I'm reading on the Internet. I do a lot of news sites and I do a lot of 
pastor sites and I do a lot of sales sites, you know, all these things. I was on this news site and, and the thing that caught my attention was the number one pickup line in America. Number one pickup line in America. You know what it is? Can I have your opinion on something? Yeah, some of you are going, get off, I'd only known that. <laughs> and some of you are married, and so don't do that out in front of your spouse because you're going to get smacked, you know. Here's, here's, a little, here's a little clue for you guys that are married. I'm saying guys because we're just dense. Um, let's just admit it. You want to elevate your wife, not only in your eyes, but as she sees herself through you, ask her opinion on something. When I go to my wife and I say, babe, I need your opinion. She smiles and goes, really? I say, yeah, I'm asking because I don't know. Now, I may think that makes me look weak, but you know what it does in her eyes? It makes me more appealing to her. If I go to my children, I say, I don't know what to do about this. What do you think? I'm elevating them. In my eyes and in how they see themselves reflected from me. So we've got to learn to ask this, these questions. And, and when I ask your opinion, I need to listen because I just blow it. You know, if I don't listen to your opinion, that just totally blows everything I've just said. So I listen. That's what friends do. I need your opinion. It's admitting you don't have everything together. And people are drawn to folks like that. I don't want to hang out with somebody who knows everything. We, we were just having a conversation, Janie and I were, about some guy that never shut up. And you're waiting for him to take a breath so you can figure out how to walk away. Because it's really rude to just turn around and walk off, you know, while he's still talking. So if he yawns or something, you sprint to get away from him. Because he never shuts up. He never asks questions. He's telling you things. When I think about weakness in the Bible, I think about a guy named Gideon. Gideon, in, uh, in Judges chapter 6... Gideon has this conversation with God. God comes up to him and he says, Gideon, I want you to deliver the Israelites from the evil Midianites. Now, I've got to give you just a little bit of background here. OK, in the book of Judges, what happens over and over is the children of Israel disobey God. And so it says they did what was right in their own eyes. God allows them to be taken over by another um, country, by another um, uh, political power. And in this case, it was the Midianites. Now. The Bible tells you, if you read this in, in chapter six, the Bible tells that what the Midianites would do, they would get together with their buddies, the Amalekites, and they would raid every time there was a harvest in Israel. They would raid the harvest. And it says that that they were innumerable. And the Bible actually says they looked like a horde of locusts coming into Israel and it, they would wipe out every scrap of that harvest. All right. You got the picture. Big, bad army takes my food. All right. When when the, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, he's hiding in a wine press, threshing grain. Now, the normal questioning person would say a wine press is not designed to thresh grain. Exactly. He's thinking I'm in a wine press so they won't think I'm threshing grain. Maybe I can get a little food. Angel Lord comes up to him and says, Gideon, mighty warrior. <laughs> Mighty order hiding in a wine press. I want you to deliver the children of Israel from the evil Midianites. All right, let's look what our boy says in Judges 6, 15 and 16. But the Lord, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? Who's his eye, who, who are his eyes upon? 
himself. How can I rescue Israel? Now, look what he says. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. I'm weak. I, I, I. And God says, well, here's the problem, dude. You got your eyes on yourself, because look at the next thing. Then the Lord said to him, I will be with you. God says, I don't need you to be big and bad, because I am. (laughs) There is none greater. What I need you to do is be obedient. He says, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I think that's the coolest phrase that I've read in the Bible in a while. You will be fighting against one man. How many folks did the Bible say were there? Innumerable. Like the sands on the seashore, like locusts. I don't know if you've seen those locusts that, that they've, they've shown from Africa. When they come, the sky is black, like it's this big northerner coming in, this big thunderstorm. God says, it will be as if you were fighting against one man if you'll look at me, not at yourself. All right, let's apply this. How many of you have ever felt weak? Truth telling. Almost all of you. How many of you feel weak right now? <laughs> we don't want to admit that. No, no, we're just talking about the weakness. That's a big honking berry. <laughs> if you feel weak, I've got great news for you. You're exactly where God wants you. God doesn't use proud people. God uses weak people. Proud people are full of themselves. They don't need God. Weak people know they can't do it. And God has you right where He wants you. So I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say, I want you to say it like this. God can use even you. Alright, look at your neighbor and say it. Okay, y'all need to work on your delivery, but you get the idea. Okay. See, I have small children and they're always like, yeah, you know, and so it's real easy for me to do that delivery because I hear it all the time. Now, whenever you look at your life and you feel weak and you feel confused, I want to remind you of a question from the Bible that ought to be our life verse. Here it is in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? All right, gang, when we started this church, there were 17 of us meeting in a pizza parlor. We had no clue what we were doing. We said, God, we want to reach people who are far from you. And we don't know how to do it. And if we were to go around today and and people were to stand up, those of you who came in the last year and first year, second year, whatever, we didn't know you. There's about eight of us still left from the first group, that 17, maybe 10 of us. And we didn't have a clue what we were doing. We just said, God, here we are. We don't know how to do this. But if you're for us, there is no one who can be against us. And if you're a child of God, He's your defender, He's your protector, He's your provider, He's your spiritual heavenly Father. Who can ever be against you? If you're weak, God has you where He wants you. And I'll be just real flat honest with you right now. I have no idea what this vote is going to be like at at North Jackson next week. But the vote doesn't even matter because we're doing what God has called us to do. And if, if they vote yes and, and we come back together and we vote yes and we go over there, whoo, yay, God. We don't have anything to do at this point other than go over there tonight and hang out. It's all in their court 
And when they vote, if, if they say no, you know what we're going to do? We're going to say, Woohoo! yay, God, because we got a clear answer. Um, it is about God, not about us. And so I really do. I feel totally weak because there's I have no power. In, in what happens in this decision, none whatsoever. And that's where God wants us. So I want you to remember that whenever you are struggling, I want you to remember if God is for us, who can be against us? Because if we're if we're honest today. So many times that it ought to embarrass us, we ask the wrong people, the wrong questions, and we get the wrong answers. But we're going to start today asking the right people the right questions so we get the right answers. So I want you to say it with me. We're going to ask, I'm going to say it first. We're going to ask the right people the right questions to get the right answers. Ready? Say it with me. Ask the right people the right questions so we get the right answers. All right? Say it again. We're going to ask the right people the right questions so we get the right answers. Y'all are so good. Let's talk about big honking barrier number two. Fear. Fear. I am scared. Another barrier in my life is fear. Now, I'm going to say that um, sometimes fear is legitimate. We taught our kids to fear running out in the street. And even if all they feared was being spanked on the bottom, there was a healthy fear that kept them from running into the street. We've taught them to be fearful of snakes. That's a good, healthy fear. Okay. Taught them not to jump off of tall buildings. We haven't taught them not to go fast because I like speed. So that's one we got to work on. Um, you want a biblical example of fear? Here it is. Nehemiah. Now, again, let me set this up. Nehemiah was a Jew who was born in exile under the king Artaxerxes in Persia. Once again, this is the story of the Old Testament. The Israelites kept disobeying God, kept disobeying God. So he allowed the Persian kingdom to come and take them over. Now, what the Persians did, they were pretty smart. They came into Israel and they found all of the smartest, the brightest, the most athletic, the most talented folks. And they took them with them back to Persia. Because, I mean, if you're going to conquer somebody, you don't leave the smart people behind, you know, because they'll figure out how to beat you or something. You know? So you take all the smart people with you, then you brainwash them into your culture. And so they go through all of this training and then you don't have problems and you actually make your government better. So Nehemiah was born into this system and he was the brightest of the brightest of the brightest because he works his way up. Because only if you were exceptional, top one percent, would you then get some type of job in that government. Nehemiah's job was the cupbearer. He's the dude who tastes the wine to make sure that the king doesn't die from poison. Now, I don't want that job. But it's a very important job. If I'm the king, I want to trust the dude who's my cupbearer. Okay, now you got the situation. The king, um, Artaxerxes, he has, and really this is his inner circle, top two or three assistants is your cupbearer. You got to be able to trust your cupbearer, your baker, the guys that are on the inner circle. This is who Nehemiah is. So what happens? God shows up. And he says, Nehemiah, I want you to do something that's never been done before. I want you to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall because the walls were just in ruin around God's town, around God's city. He said, I want you to go back. Now, Nehemiah is the brightest of the brightest of the brightest. He's like, but I have to go to King Artaxerxes to do that. I got to walk into his office and say, I know I'm one of your most trusted advisors, but God told me to do something. Now. Got to understand the way kings work back then. If you came into the presence of the king and he didn't like what you were wearing, he could kill you. If you had bed breath, he could kill you. If um, 
if you were sad, it was actually a law. It was illegal to be sad in the presence of the king and he could kill you. Now, let's look what happens. Check out Nehemiah, Nehemiah 2. So the king asked me, why are you so sad? Holy mackerel. He noticed. You aren't sick, are you? You look like a man with deep troubles. This is like the understatement in the scripture. Then I was badly afraid. Now, this was this was he was doing what God called him to do. And I don't know if you've ever been afraid for that, but you know what it means to be badly afraid. My children do. When I catch them red handed doing something, they are badly afraid. You can tell by the look on their face. You get caught doing something you're not supposed to be doing. You're badly afraid. You know what that is. He was doing what God called him to do, and he was still badly afraid. It was legitimate fear because he could die. Look what happens. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases your majesty and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Now, if you read the whole book of Nehemiah, one of my favorite books in the Bible, if you read this book, you find out that in chapter one, Nehemiah finds out that the the wall has been torn down. He's sad. He weeps. He fasts. He mourns. And then the Bible says he prays. He prays for four months before this encounter with King Artaxerxes. So this little prayer says, you know, I, I prayed to the God of heaven. This was one of those little sentence prayers, one of those little popcorn prayers. Too many of us spend our time. All we ever do is the popcorn prayer. That's why we don't know what God wants us to do. That's why God doesn't do God sized tasks through our lives, because all we ever do is pray popcorn prayers. Nehemiah does his little popcorn prayer on the back of four months of prayer, fasting, mourning, weeping. And he says, I imagine, okay, God, this is your deal. You called me. Here we go. And he asked the king, can I go rebuild the wall? Now, what he did, Artaxerxes says, sure. How much time do you need? In fact, how much money do you need? When Nehemiah faced his fear, God did something that only God could get the glory for. Not only will I give him, he wrote letters to all the governors saying he has my permission to do this. Don't jack with him. And then Artaxerxes says, how much money do you need to rebuild your wall there, Nehemiah? Now, when the wall was rebuilt in 52 days, if you ever saw Jerusalem, you'd understand 52 days is insane today with the technology we have. They rebuilt it in 52 days 4,000 years ago. When they got finished, did everybody go, oh, great, Nehemiah. Oh, great, Artaxerxes. No. Everyone went, wow, God did that. Because he faced his fear. You and I need to face our fears and be obedient to what God calls us to do. Then God will do something so magnificent that none of us would even begin to get the credit because everybody's like, you're not that powerful. You ain't that good. You're not that smart. That has to be a God thing. And I want to be involved in God sized things because God gets the glory for that. Now, real quickly, let me ask you this. Why do we fear asking questions? We do what? There you go. If I ask the hard question in my, in my marriage, maybe I'm the problem. And I'd have to change. I don't want to do that. If I ask the hard question in my business, maybe I'm the problem. And I, I don't want to hear that. A lot of times we're afraid of the answer, so we don't ask those questions. And here's the deal. God... Um, God's answer is going to be so magnificent. It may not be in the beginning because I don't think that Nehemiah went in there thinking, whoo-hoo, I get to ask the king if I can leave. He was thinking, if God doesn't show up, I'm a dead man. 
But once he finished the rebuilding of the wall, what do you think Nehemiah said about God's answer? It was best. God's answer is always best. Now, okay, I want you to think about questions. Questions are all around us. I want you to think about those big honking barriers. And then we're going to show you this quick video about questions. And we're going to finish this up. We're going to ask, who are the right people? Watch this video. So questions are all around us. Let's figure out very quickly the right types of questions and the right people that we're going to ask those questions. Who are the right people? Great question. First one, God. We've got to ask God. If you've got something on your heart, on your mind, then you need to ask God. Life is full of decisions. We need answers. I need answers. You need answers. We need to talk to God. Now, sometimes I said earlier that God doesn't answer all of your specific questions, but I will tell you this. God will answer the big questions questions. And we're going to talk about how he does that in just a minute. Um, before you make a move, do you ask God before you buy a car? Do you ask God before you um, get married? Do you ask God? Those are the types of big questions that he's going to give you an answer to. Jeremiah 33, three says this. Ask me and I will tell you some remarkable secrets about what is going to happen here. Question. When do you need God's opinion on what you're about to do? Before you make a decision or after you've screwed up, which would be most helpful before. But we don't spend time talking to God, so we don't get God's answer. So what do you say to God? There's three things. Here's here are the right questions to ask God. First is the content question. Is it in your word? I don't know how many times people have come to my office and said, I'm thinking about doing this. And I'm like, um, can I tell you what the Bible says? Because the Bible says the complete opposite of what you're going to do. Well, God told me. No, he didn't. I don't know which God you're talking to, but it's not the one who wrote the Bible. Because God will never tell you to do something that is not in the Bible. So when we decided we were going to start this church, I mean, this was a real easy one. We said we wanted to reach people who were far from God. We wanted to build a church because we felt like in this community, there were enough churches that were, that were reaching folks who were already Christians there were enough folks, and quite honestly, that were dealing with the already convinced. You understand what I'm saying? 
We said we want to build a church that's not like any other church in this town that reaches people that nobody else is reaching. What did Jesus say? He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. There was our answer. If we were going to build a place that reached out to lost people, we didn't even have to pray about it. If it's in God's word, you don't even have to pray about it. If God tells you to do it, you do it in his word. If God says don't do it, you don't have to pray about that either. God's not going to change his mind. He's not going to revise this. Oh, I didn't think of that one and go back and change it. God gave us his word. The reason we screw up so much is that we don't pay attention to God's word. Sometimes we don't know it. Sometimes we know it and we do our thing anyway and we face the consequences for that. So first is the content question. The next question is the character question. What is the character and nature of God? I just start thinking about that. God's holy. He's pure. He's compassionate. He's awesome. He's all powerful. So what what I say is, God, I'm getting ready to make this decision, this choice. I have a question and the answer should reflect your character. If it is pure and holy and just and righteous and blameless and humble. I mean, read Philippians 2, 4 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself humble as a servant and became obedient even unto death. And so we started saying, OK, if we're going to build a church, the answer right here is we got to be like Jesus. Jesus is humble. Jesus is a servant. We got to build a church that serves. So there, there was our answer. All right. If we're going to do this, God wants us to reach lost people. God cares more about lost people than we do. What kind of church are we going to build? We're going to reach lost people. We've got to serve. There it is in the scripture. There was our answer. Then the next question is the call question. God has an amazing purpose for your life. He custom made you to fit into his plan. If your life is jacked up right now, it's because you are not fitting into God's plan. You want ultimate fulfillment and peace and purpose in life. You want to lay down your head on the pillow at night and think, I did, uh, I did something that matters. You want to have a reason to get up in the morning, find God's purpose for your life and start doing it. And amazing things will happen. Well, I started looking at my life. I felt like God had called me 15 years ago to preach. Actually, back when I was in college... My pastor was gone one time and I preached my first sermon and several people came up, little bitty church, several people came up and said, you need to preach. And I said, not a chance. He just asked me so far in advance, I couldn't say no. I couldn't think of a reason why I couldn't do it. And then through the years, I've seen God do stuff in my life. And so the call was God wasn't going to call me to open a sewing clinic. That's not who God made me to be. Now, my wife could do it. She was a home ec major. But not me. God called me to preach. And so that was real easy then when we um, when we considered that. So you ask God first, you ask him the, the content question, the character question, the call question. Second, you need to ask others. Now, real quickly, others. Who are the right folks? Because there are two types of people that we tend to ask. First group of people, what I call the sinful sympathizers. You know who they are? The ones that tell you what you want to hear. Actually, they're the ones who've already screwed up their lives in an area where you're about to screw up your life. And the advice they give you is, come on in. Water's fine. You want to cheat on your spouse? She doesn't deserve you anyway. Go ahead. Sinful sympathizers. That's like going to the bar. And talking to people at the bar about your problems and getting their advice. If they're inebriated... What kind of advice are they going to give you? Just leave her. 
What kind of bonehead is going to say, that was a word from God. This drunk man told me to leave her. God said, no, that's foolishness. Sinful sympathizers, if you're about to screw up in your business, if you're going to do something that's in the gray area, you go and talk to somebody who's already screwed up in the gray area, what are they going to say? Dude, look at me. I'm making money. Look where I live. Look at the car I drive. Come on in. No problem. Sinful sympathizers. And here's the deal. Jesus said that on the path to destruction, there's all kinds of people. It's extremely crowded. And what they tell you, people that are on the path to destruction, come on, do it this way. Who needs this? We talked about this in authority issues. Don't get under God's authority. Do it our way because we're screwed up. Don't you want to be screwed up with us? There's another group, and this is the group we need to talk to. They're called the spiritual empathizers. Like that. Sinful sympathizers, spiritual empathizers. Here's the difference. Spiritual empathizers are people who are facing the same crises I'm facing, but they've done it right. Their marriage may have been on the rocks, but they stuck together and they've done it right. I want to know, I want to hear from people who've done it right. I know how to do it wrong. You don't have to teach me that. You have to teach me how to do it right. So if your marriage is about to, to explode, go to somebody who's, who's had a marriage that you want to have that type of marriage. Ask people who are doing it right that follow God. If your business is, is if you're having critical questions there in, in work or business area, go to somebody that you've seen them walk the walk, walk, uh, walk the talk. They're doing things with integrity and God is blessing their life. Those are the people we need to have more of in our lives. And I think we could all say we don't have enough of them. So the right questions you ask God, the right questions you ask the right people. See, you can ask the wrong people. and It's real clear, real fast, because they don't give you the same answer God did. They tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. Spiritual empathizers will tell you what you need to hear. Because they're more worried about pleasing God than pleasing you. And sometimes I need people to come up and say, you screwed up. I might get defensive, but if, but you know what? Usually God uses that and it gets around that defense in my heart and I go, oh, you're right. I don't like to mess up, but I don't need people saying, oh, you're great when I mess up. I need somebody to tell me the truth. All right. The last folks we need to ask ourselves. We need to ask ourselves. And basically, this is it. We're going to spend a lot of time next week knowing how you know what the right answers are. We're going to give you this grid that you can take your questions and your answers through to find out if these are the right answers, if they're coming from God. But but here's the basic deal. Considering my past, okay, my past. Let me just use me for an example. I was raised in a small town. Ms. Shiflet's here. She's from Borger. Knows my parents. We're from a small town. Um... I like the outdoors. I like uh, hanging out. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for people who are far from God. And I've always, truth telling, I've always thought that, you know, I'm kind of a normal person. And one of the best compliments you can give me is you don't act like a pastor because I don't want to. I don't have the evangelist hair, so I couldn't go there. Um, but I don't want to be known as a person who can't relate to, pe- to ordinary people because that's who Jesus was. Jesus was called a friend of sinners and he wore it like a badge of honor. And I want to be known. If, if I die on my, on my gravestone, I would like to have written a friend of sinners because that's what I see my Lord doing. So when, when it came time to start this church, we said, what kind of church are we going to build? 
I grew up in the 70s and I like rock and roll. <laughs> and and here's the deal. God has called me to reach the next generation. And so we just said, what's the what's the best way, according to our background, David, the guy who leads worship regularly, all his life, he's wanted to play rock and roll. And when he became a Christian, he was sad because he couldn't play rock and roll. And when I asked him to come here, I said, dude, I want you to play rock and roll. And he goes, my soul, I've been running from God for 20 years. And now you tell me I can play rock and roll in church. And we said, according to our background, what is the most logical thing for us to do if we're going to reach these people? Well, we got to be who we are. I can't be someone I'm not. And I'm, I don't want to pretend we, we make a big deal about taking off the masks here. And so I've told you about a lot of my mess ups. And it seems like the more I tell you about my mess ups, the more people can relate to that. And so we just want to be who God called us to be. Uh, regarding looking at your past, thinking about your future, what is the best course of action for you? Because God's not going to take you down this path and prepare you for this thing and then suddenly take you over here. God doesn't do that. A lot of people say, if I give up to God, he's going to make me do this, 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 and I'm going to hate it. You got the wrong God. Because the Bible says he is a God of love. And I said 25 years ago, I would never preach. Because I thought that was the grossest thing you could ever ask a person to do. And I absolutely love my job. And I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing anything else but preaching. And if there's ten people that come, that's who we're going to minister to. Some of you can't have a clue. You don't have a clue what I'm talking about because you are not a child of God. And the question you need to answer today is, who do you say Christ is? What are you going to do with this Christ? That's the best question you I'd have been gone. Because if heaven was the goal, God wanted me to do something in this life. God wants you to do something in this life. So when you come to Christ, He doesn't take you out. He begins to mold you and shape you to look more like Christ so that more people can come into His kingdom. That's God's goal, is that more people would be in His kingdom. That's why Jesus came. Some of you need, you need to ask some serious questions about, are you obeying what you already know? Because this is what we talk about all the time. Almost every Christian I know knows more about the Bible than they're doing. What you need is not more knowledge. What you need is more obedience to the knowledge you've already got. In fact, God says, I won't give you more until you obey what I already told you. So I want you to come back next week and I want you to hear how you can figure out the right answers.